so we're going to continue on the second part up here. Again, this is kind of what we were looking at is uh, pause, unite, refocus, and educate. Again, these are just different um, skills that you guys have probably learned these before. We just try to put it into an acronym to kind of make it a little bit easier to follow. You kind of want to go over the first two nails that we went over? Sure. So pausing is really just trying to gather yourself, taking your time, and it can be very, very quick. And the example that you guys often learn is the uh, combat breathing uh, or the battle breaths, and that really only takes a few seconds, and that's a, the, one of the perfect examples of pausing. So being aware of what's going on of your own emotions and knowing what your plan is. I shall continue. <laughs> so uniting. Uh, so really just getting on the same page with someone, really trying to work on the problem together as opposed to you versus them, because and that includes solving things. Well, I'm going to solve this for you. I'm going to solve this for you as opposed to, hey, there's a problem. We have this problem together. And this is one thing that couples often do. You know, I'm going to solve this problem, and how do couples try to figure it out? By fixing the other person. Well, if this other person only did this and this and this, then everything would be wonderful. But if you have a problem, like one of the kids is not acting correctly, if you think of it as a shared problem that you're going to work on together, it's a lot more productive than, I'm going to figure out how to change my spouse. And with that, like what Niz was saying, we're a big fan of just sometimes actually out loud just stating the problem. Yes. So in those kind of groups like that, like if it is uh, not with a stranger, so that a call for service, but if it is with a colleague, coworker, or your family, sometimes just stating out loud can help you kind of get rid of the ownership. And so we're going to move on to the next two, which is refocus and educate. Yes, that's a picture of being refocused. See, there's a kitty in the front, and then you see the kitty in the back because of the refocusing. What kind of person refers to this, a cat as a kitty? It's a kitty. <laughs> but what, what is a grown man? A kitty cat. It's a kitty cat. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. So, when we talk about triangulate, and hopefully there's a that think of up here, but you know, this is kind of where we move attention exactly as it states to a common goal, or a shared one, or a problem at, at hand. So you're not owning this kind of stuff, and you try your best to, to deflect any kind of attacks to yourself. And a lot of times, we kind of naturally come up with this, but any kind of stuff like you don't care, or you're not doing this, you deflect it you, with empathy and compassion the best that you guys can. And then here's a quote that actually Niels uses this one all the time Wow, this means a lot to you you really want to get this done, or wow, this means a lot to you, you really want to make sure your health is okay, which is an easy deflecting statement. Yeah, so if someone's ranting and raving about how nobody helps them and nobody cares, instead of arguing, which is a very common thing. So like, if you're out on a call and someone says, oh, that last officer who came by, Officer Tinney, they were the worst, they didn't care, they didn't want to do anything, and you're an actual, inclination might be to say, hey, no, that's my friend. I know he's a good officer. I'm not really sure what happened. And then before you know, you're getting into an argument. So uh, another way to say is like, wow, that sounds rough and you're really wanting help. Let's try to figure out how we can help you. So moving back to the shared responsibilities, the shared goals and the shared problems. And so other very concrete ways of triangulation is um, uh, sort of with, with medicine, it's you can do things like, hey, you know, I can't prescribe this to you because the the board of pharmacy 
says that's a bad idea, or this you know large uh, New England Journal of Medicine says this is a bad idea. So it's not just you versus them, or something I would get at the VA. People don't like the VA. So you show up and they say, oh, the VA sucks, I hate this, and this is terrible. So you guys might get that with law enforcement. Oh, law enforcement doesn't care, they don't give a shit. Um, so one of the things I would do at work was, um, yeah, the VA is a hard place to work. You know, the VA is not great, but it's you and me here together. I, I don't know the exact wording. And you just met me, and let's try to figure out how to get this done. So you kind of humanize yourself. So you're triangulating that it's the VA that sucks, not the two of us. And the common one that I'm hearing a lot now is, uh, it's taking you guys forever to get here. Yeah, I called, and I waited two hours or whatever. And so it's hard not to get defensive on that. We're like, well, we had other things, or other this is happening. Do you not care about this dead baby I went to, or whatever? It's hard not to kind of just start arguing with that. But what Doc was saying, you know, is like, oh, I know your car being broken into has to feel you know, devastating to you. Let's make the best of the time that I'm here now. You know, or you can apologize. Like, I'm so sorry. It took so long. We had a lot of stuff going on. This means a lot to you. Let's just, you know, make the best of our time now. Whatever it is on that. And triangulate, if you think about it, just think about a triangle. And the idea is that... Thanks for the insight. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> is that you're not against each other. So it's not you versus them. You're sitting on one side and the problem is in front of both of you guys. And you guys are working together to address that problem. I had a question. Ben Martin was the what shape should we think of? <laughs> Trial is the strongest shape out there. If you guys would wish to look it up more, I wish it was used in more designs. Possible it's a two-dimensional shape. So this is a question for the group. What is the most common underlying emotions felt by people coming into contact with first responders? Let's just say police officers. Is to be typed in to the chair. Fear. Fear. God. Jen, it's not <laughs> a man of Suspicion. Every day we're like, hi, Jen. <laughs> Anger. Suspicion. Suspicion. Anxious. I second fear. You see her? Fear. Oh, yeah. Oh. Does anybody anxious? <laughs> yeah. Comfort. See, look at that. <laughs> but there's got to be a certain amount of people who respond that way. Oh, God, the police are here. Thankfully. Skepticism. Interesting. Relief. Relief. Those are all really good. And I think the one thing that probably all the contacts have in common is some kind of you might make fun of this word, man. excitation. So the person is going to be excited in some way, either relieved or anxious. They're going to be revved up in some way or another. That's why the, um, you know, the de-escalation is so good. But you're right. I, I would guess that it's some kind of fear or apprehension, even if you're the one calling. Those kind of things that you guys all brought up, fear, relief, or both. And so can you talk a little bit about aligning with their anxiety? So I guess uh, for me, aligning with anxiety is more just kind of the emotional labeling. And I know a lot of cops have done this very well with the, uh, gosh, yeah, I get nervous when cops are around and I'm a cop. You know I mean, it, it just people, we make people nervous. You know, we have the badge, we have the gun. I, I think uh, it, 
emotionally labeling and validating is a very good way to align with someone's anxiety. I'd be anxious too if someone broke into my house. I'd be anxious too if something like this or happened. And so I'm here to try to help you. And I think a lot of times the fear, if we hear as law enforcement, we think of people being scared, like they're going to get hurt by the police. But this is like fear of you're going to get in trouble. Like you get pulled over, oh, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to get a ticket. Even like, well, you've done nothing wrong. But it's like, well, the cops are still here. I'm afraid they're going to find I did something wrong and I'm yeah. going to get in trouble. So it's just kind of the fear of the unknown on that kind of stuff. And this is very true that, that a lot of times when people are angry, they're more often to be fearful. So something is kind of causing that anger. And, and if you guys can use emotional labeling and the active listening that we talked about last time, a lot of times I can help you build rapport to kind of uncover those true uh, emotions. There. Oh, that's the majority of feet safe so yeah I, I think um I, I think anxiety is is one that's going to be very common and relief is easier to deal with because they're they're oh i'm so glad you're here uh, the example i often give about anger and how anger is directly related to fear um is you're driving somebody cuts you off the the very, very first thing you feel, which may even go unnoticed, is, holy shit, I'm going to get into an accident. I'm scared. I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to be physically damaged in some way. The very next emotion is, fuck that guy. <laughs> what are they doing? And then the anger builds. And so, but really what it is is fear. And that's how I try to view anger. It's hard because when someone's angry and they're yelling at you in particular, it's hard to say, oh, this person is just anxious and fearful. <laughs> um, and saying it like that probably won't help either. But knowing it can be helpful. Embarrassment's a good one. Do you feel embarrassed when you call the police? Uh, January CTF, I was just thinking I've been pulled over a few times. Oh, <laughs> That's always really embarrassing. Or um, I've had to call the police here in Albuquerque to my house to pick drunk people off the porch. And I would thought, like, yeah, that makes it <laughs> at a party. Done a I thought, oh, geez, the neighbors are going to think something's oh, going yeah. on. It's this fear of what other people think. Too. Oh, yeah, that's, that's good. It's more embarrassment than fear. And that's what I was trying to elaborate on, Sarah. Thank you. I could Very see good, that. Yeah. It's a hard one. So these are kind of the, the grounding statements that we were kind of talking about before. So refocusing to someone's high emotions. So if someone is kind of splitting shifts, you know, or complaining about another officer, go, Matt Tinney didn't do this. I was just asking for a police report instead of being like, well, let's even see if it happens. I just met you. You know, I don't know what happened before. Let's make the most of our time. Let's see what we can do now. Some different ways to kind of do that. So it is towards goals. So do interruptions. Or we talked about paraphrasing. So kind of using a professional paraphrase to kind of stop somebody, recap what they're talking about and refocus them back on what the issue is at hand or what you have to do. Um, and giving reassurance, you kind of want to talk a little bit more about these? I think, I mean, the flip side of this is probably arguing. I think that's the one that people, everybody, slips into the most easily and often goes undetected. So arguing is, you know, you, didn't, you took so long to show up and what the hell? They say, well, you know, ma'am, I know that's very upsetting to you, but we did have a very important call where there was a blah, blah, blah. Now you're arguing with them, even though you feel like you're being deferential and kind, but you're really setting up an argument. Your call is not as important as the previous call. Um, so really avoiding that 
sort of sinkhole that everybody falls into, and I mean everybody, um, it's hard. And the one way to do that is to be aware of it. And grounding statements are nice ways to just um, have sort of pat phrases ready to go so you don't get into that. So when you want to argue, instead of saying, oh, yeah, we're late for this call, I'm sorry, but, you know, I just met you and let's see what we can do with our time. Just ignore it is much more productive than getting into a discussion or trying to explain it or that kind of stuff. So obviously easier said than done, but the main thing is being aware of how you respond to these things. That's the first step, knowing. And having scripts like, like what Niels is talking about also helps ground you. So if you know you're going to something and you just came from a hot call or priority call, you're already kind of amped. And having this also helps keep you in check. Because if you watch any of the videos of any profession where it's like a bad encounter and there's a lot for law enforcement, where it gets bad is it's law enforcement, we get suckered into arguing. And so people bait us on it. So they try with the, oh, I don't have to roll down a window or why are you stopping me? I don't have to talk to you. What, what typically what it looks like it's a bad interaction is the cop is arguing about something. So they argue about a law or argue about the reason for it. They don't give real, uh, you know, background history on that. And so you get stuck in it. And I'm just curious if any of you guys have tips on how to catch yourself when you are arguing. Like, are any of you guys aware of it? Like, oh, I'm arguing. I have to rechange how I'm communicating with this person. Ben Miller was like, Pete, too many times in my career, I've only realized it afterwards. And I'm just like, oh man, I shouldn't have been arguing with that person. It wasn't even about that. I was just in a bad mood. So I think really the only way to catch it is if you're conscious about that kind of stuff and you know, have that inner monologue and have what you guys are saying ready. That way, if you feel yourself like start to get angry and just you know, start to ask yourself, why am I angry? And is this going to be productive? I think Lawrence says that, you know, it's better, it's better to be effective than to be right. And I think that's very true in law enforcement sometimes. It's just better to be effective than to, to prove that you're right uh, through the course of an argument. You know, uh, one, of the, one of the things that uh, Matt has pointed out to me, and I, I've noticed it in myself and in other people, that people tend to argue, especially in professional situations, when they're unsure about stuff. So they're not quite sure, but they feel like they're the experts and should be the experts. And then they start to argue as opposed to saying, you know, it's an interesting thing. I'm not sure about that. Or just changing the subject altogether. Because when you are 100% sure about something, just state the fact. Oh, no, ma'am, you know, in fact, the law says this and this and that. Oh, shit. Not, well, that's just the case. Let's see how we can help. So you don't, you don't need to argue because it's just, a, you just, it's just state facts. Richard McCoy, you know, psychiatry, I would just like to, yes, reinforce that. Prior to this hour, I was doing a law and mental health didactic where we were doing a mock trial um, for an expert witness, and that's exactly what they are intending to do. So they have a prosecuting, a prosecuting attorney who is designed to have the expert feel like they need to be on the defense and not argue back. And it's always about trying to make them feel not confident in what they actually are and should be confident in. And that's when you get people that just start arguing and then look foolish and like they don't actually know what they're talking about because they get caught up in proving that they do know what they're talking about. Right. And so kind of what Ben mentioned and then this, if you can look at interactions that did not go well, 
so I'm not saying like with a colleague, but if you leave a call or any kind of interaction, personal life or not, you're like, I don't feel like that went well, or I lost my cool, or, or you feel like you're for, to blame for something on that, look at it. Like, what was it? Did you get caught arguing? Was it because you came across, you know, not empathetic? Were you blunt? Did you not have that? But a lot of times, especially with the law enforcement ones, this whole movement of people trying to challenge uh, law enforcement's knowledge of the law, that's where it is. Is, is an officer, you know, I might say, no, you can't record a video here. Well, the, the law says this. I'm like, maybe the law does say that, but I already said you can't. So then I have to, like, make up a reason to back what I just said instead of being, like, accepting blame. Like, well, you know what? I'm not 100% sure on the law, but, you know, I feel there's a reason you can't be filming here and, and just articulating what the problem is. Or moving on. Like, you know, okay, well, I do feel like you shouldn't film here, but I'm going to look into that. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. And sometimes that just stops down an argument. People are arguing and you really don't know. Let them win. It's not like they're winning. Oh, you know what? I don't know exactly what the law says, but this is how I interpret it, you know, and it's up to the courts to figure that out. You know, but just stating it moving on. People Those are really bad statements to have scripts that have ready, things like, the, like what you were just saying. Uh, Matt, uh, this is Jason yeah. Town, U.S. Probation. We have this, the federal government spending tons of money on a program they call STAR, and it's basically a scripted way to talk to these offenders and, dis and discuss. And they actually address issues that are heightened with, um, you know, with offenders who are continually not compliant, this, that, the other thing. And sticking to that script does help us. Um, as far as emotional, getting emotional with these guys. But there is sometimes where you're even doing the script and you're doing it angrily because <laughs> of the, the deception that they come up with. But the script sometimes helps you get back on track and um, get back to business of what you're doing. I think that's just the most important thing is when we're interacting with these guys, you know, we got to stay on focus and on point about what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, that's an excellent point. What's nice about scripts that you is you can make them yourself. So as long as you sort of think them through and maybe even talk to a colleague about them, you know, getting a script from the federal government probably feels kind of crappy. Right? <laughs> so or it can come across robotic, especially yeah. if it's not how you speak. That's true. Yeah. How what are the the scripts that you guys get? Are they like you have to say them verbatim, or do they give you sort of guidelines? More like guidelines. Um, it, it's I, let me give you a kind of examples of what they call, like one's effective use of authority. It gives you a guideline on, you know, you do this, this is going to happen, but you do this, this is going to happen, and I hope you make the right choice. Kind of stuff like that. Okay. Um, another thing they talk about like effective use of um, disapproval, disapproval, where you're disapproval what they're doing, and you talk about their goals and is this good for your goals? Is this not? Things of that nature. So it's more of a guide. That's great. But um, it leads to uh, to hopefully better outcomes. Is that something we can get a copy of? I think we might be able to to arrange. I don't see why not. Let me um let me get there's this whole program that has like star coaches and stuff, and Camilla is one of them. So let me talk with her. I don't think that would be a problem at all. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. But it's very. So exactly what we're saying, that's the same skill that they probably looked up that we're trying to talk about, about triangulating. So it does help you guys not own it, especially with like the authority. 
oftentimes it's we get stuck in the habit of i'm telling you you did something wrong you did this wrong you did this to me i already told you this and so it becomes you versus them but kind of just pointing out the obvious like wow you did this you know here's an option here's another option or what did you think would happen it just pointed out there so you don't own it so you guys can still kind of keep that uh rapport that relationship you previously built and some people naturally do this and other people it's hard not to take ownership especially with, with you guys you guys work with the same people for so long i would think it'd be hard not to to kind of take offense like if someone feels like they just deceived you or letting you down i think it'd be hard for you guys and so maybe this helps you guys kind of keep that uh third party it does it, it really helps us kind of kind of gauge where we're at um you know it's and what we have to understand as officers is it's not always going to work. And a lot of times it doesn't work and they're back in jail or wherever. But, um, you know, sometimes you do have successes. But uh, the biggest thing that it does try to help you do is stay cool in a situation where you could probably lose it pretty easily with some of these guys. Right. It also yeah. helps us um, maintain neutrality. And then they view us as a neutral third party. So it's not like... Um, Sometimes their behavior isn't directed at their angst at us by the time we've gone through some of these cards. Nice. No, it's great. I mean, there's a lot of research right now about procedural justice and the openness of it and people feeling like any like probation, law enforcement, it's not all handled the same. And so by keeping you guys as a third party neutral, it does show more professionalism. So you should get more buy-in on that. So manipulate people, you know, there's an interesting thing about manipulate people that often you'll sit around and someone will be manipulated and you'll say, oh, that person's so manipulative. But really, they're not because they're trying to be, but they're failing. If you know they're being manipulative, they're not really <laughs> manipulating you. So to deal with manipulated people, you really have to have other people around or you have to have a very good radar because it's hard because once, once you know they're manipulating you, they're not really doing it. And so, but if you do figure out that they're attempting to manipulate you, why are they doing it? What are they really trying to get out of you? What are they trying to avoid? And sometimes it's obvious, like they just don't want to go to jail where they don't want to do this. But what they're, but if the deeper and deeper you go, it's like that game kids play. But why? 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 And if you really get down to it, it's, it's going to be an emotion at the bottom. They're scared. They're worried. The, or they, they're worried because they won't be with their family. They're worried about being embarrassed or whatever it is. So if you try to take it at that root level of the root problem of whatever is bothering them, that can, you align yourself with that as much as you can, and that's generally more productive. This is what you're just saying. Oh, is that what I just said? Yeah, well, no, <laughs> continue. Okay, yeah, that's everything we just said. <laughs> Thank Isn't you, it? Nils. Oh my <laughs> we way ahead of ourselves. One of the things, you know, and again, we keep harping on this one, but try not to argue. I think that one of the biggest things that happens is everybody argues, we all fall for it. But the more that you can be aware of it and kind of, uh, you know, monitor yourself, reflect back on, on what went well, on communications, what didn't. And if you had a college, you're like, wow, I really excelled at this or I really helped this person out of that. Figure out what it is that you did for that, um, that, that helped and try to mimic that on all of these high risk ones. Or especially on days when you feel like you're tired or a lot of pressure, or you already have a lot of emotions going into situations. 
that's when you have to be more aware of your own emotional uh, or anxieties when you're going to talk to someone. Okay, this is just a question to the group. You people are all the same. No one gives a damn. No one helps. What do you say to that? Anybody in the chat or in the room? And I'll say it again because I'm trying to work on my animation. You people are all the same. No one gives a damn. No one helps. No point. Man. How's that? Is that good? <laughs> well, that was my <laughs> Even with that awesome acting, let's see. Anyway. Feel that no one understands you and you're. Thank you. I'm sorry about your previous experience. Nice. These are great. You want to read those one? Yeah, so, uh, sorry. Tony Lockhart wrote, you feel that no one understands you and you're frustrated? I so, do, thank you. <laughs> uh, Napoleon wrote, I'm sorry about your previous experience, but I'm here to help you now. That's very nice of you, thank you. Those work, no, those really do work. Those are excellent <laughs> suggestions. And I, I, I really don't have a ton to add to that because those are right answers. And so any variation in your own words is the way to go. You can say I think the next slide actually I think says exactly what Kevin wrote. Oh no, it didn't. We took it out. It's better on state law. <laughs> well, no, we used to have a follow-up slide. I swear it said, "I'm sorry about your previous experience." Yeah, it was like he got that right on. That was impressive. But these are kind of things to think about. Think about the kind of people that get to you. What they say that just kind of pisses you off right away. Run those scenarios in your head and think about a, a line that you'd come to. This is, I would say, positive game planning on this because you're not looking negative. You're looking at a positive way to change a conversation so there isn't a fight. Normally, when we think of conversations, we think of rebuttals to create an argument. So you go into, like, we have a coworker today that is going into a meeting with somebody, and instead of thinking about this person going to say, you guys never do follow-up, instead of being like, wow, that's frustrating, how can we do better, or it's frustrating, tell me about it. Instead, they're thinking about, well, I know if they say this, I'm going to cut them off right away <laughs> and say this. You know, we often pre-game our arguments. So we think if my spouse says this, I'm going to jump right away and be like, well, do you remember when you did this? Or do you do this? But this is positive ways when you're thinking. This isn't ways to figure out how to manipulate an argument. This is you looking at something, knowing that it could be an argument, and how do you change it from that argument to a positive. No, I, I want to expand on that because I think it's very interesting, very important. It also happens as you're arguing with a spouse yeah. or somebody that you're, you feel like you're listening, but you're really only listening for what you want to hear. Like, oh, they're going to say this and I have my zinger all ready to go. And so that's not listening. That's, you know, arguing and trying to win an argument. And what's interesting, the next time you think you're going to get into an argument, like, you can anticipate these things in advance. Like this is gonna come up when we're gonna get in an argument. Reflect on what's going on in your head because most of the time you're thinking about how to win the argument and how to think about that. Next time, try to think, well, how can I understand where they're coming from? How can I really have compassion and really just do nothing else but understand where they're coming from? And practice that in your head and it's really hard because you're like, oh, that feels so foreign to me. Because the idea of any positive interaction is curiosity and trying to understand the other person. Because you're never going to convince anybody that this president is bad or that president is good or this person is bad without really understanding where they're coming. Well, why do you like that person? Why are they so important? 
How do they align with what is important to you? Wow, okay, I never saw it that way. And once you truly, truly understand where they're coming from, then possibly they might listen to you and change the way they're behaving. Obviously, with law enforcement, it's different. You can arrest somebody. <laughs> but, but with a spouse, you can't arrest your spouse. Wow. Oh, John. <laughs> it's like, now I understand where you come from. Does that make sense? Turn around. <laughs> The question, yes. analyzer safety, what is this picture? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. I think it was from uh, some Jewish stuff. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> cool. Thank it's like you. a rabbi or something. <laughs> Or you can respond, oh, that's art, then. That's it's art. art. I was what does it mean to you? So, yeah, that's how you change it. Oh, I see. Oh, this guy. So moving in focus to neutral third parties can, can help. And this kind of goes back to about, especially like what Dr. McCoy was talking about, was becoming, a, you know, trying to get argumentative on the stand on trial as an expert. So, hey, you know, do you actually believe that this is true? Or is that fact on it? Instead of owning it, you can refer to the, to the third party. So, well, the state statute says that domestic violence is this, and unfortunately, what you're describing fits that. Or when it comes on other stuff, like what Doc was talking about with the New England uh, Journal of Medicine, if you want to give an example on that one. Yeah, so, so let's say you have a patient in there sort of drug-seeking. I want this medicine. This is the medicine I need. Instead of saying, no, you don't, and I don't want to give it to you, and that's not great. Say, you know, I just read an article in the New England Journal of Medicine. They did a big review. This is the premier journal in the world. And they said in cases like this, this is really not the right thing. It's actually going to do more harm than good. So take it up with the editors of the New England Journal of Medicine. <laughs> <laughs> do it. And so we were talking about this when it comes to cuffing people today, actually. We had a big discussion on if, you know, since here locally the fire department and ambulance used to transport people for behavioral health even if they called themselves. And now they no longer do that, so police are having to. And it, sometimes we have to cuff people. And so that's where it gets into, I wouldn't necessarily, I guess it is an argument, but where someone could kind of pull on your, your heartstrings on it, so to say. <laughs> oh my God. So you go out there, someone's you know, suicide went in the hospital, and you're like, okay, turn right to go to cuffs. You're like, but why? I called you for help. And you kind of get stuck there like, well, that's true. So do they have to go in cuffs? And, and as you guys know, if you make that slight hesitation, people will call you on. Oh, you have to go in cuffs. Well, why? I didn't go in cuffs before. There was, you know, another officer didn't take me. And so you kind of get in arguing to try to figure out if you can or can't. But don't be afraid to just refer back to what you're bound by. So it could be policy or law. So like, and you can agree, like, oh, it sucks that I have to put you in cuffs. You're right. You called for help. And, you know, the way the system's set up now is... The, our policy now dictates that you have to be in custody and transferred to the hospital because you indicated you want to kill yourself. But refer to the third party of it uh, as a policy. Because owning it was like, well, I know that like Ben didn't let you go in cuffs, but you know, I just don't know if I feel comfortable, but let me check with Ben real quick. Any of that, that kind of uh, hesitation is really what, what kind of uh, breeds all the frustration and kind of argument with other people. And so watch for hooks and triggers, and we've talked about this before, but uh, what would be a, a, an example of a hook? Pets. Pets are big hooks. Pets, yeah. Twin locker, but children and pets. Children and pets. pets. No, 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 no
What else have you guys found have been good hooks? Sports teams. Sports teams. Hobbies or talents. Sports. Yeah, these are all great. Yeah, those are really good. Tattoos. What's that? Tattoos. Tattoos. Oh, yeah, they tattoos. Uh-huh. Tattoos. What about triggers? What are things that just piss people off, it seems like? Children. Saying <laughs> 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 calm down. <laughs> yes. Relax. Telling people Relax. what to do is never a positive thing. <laughs> I know how you feel. Family. Family is different. <laughs> Politics, religion. Right, the things that you're never supposed to talk to with in-laws, sex, politics, <laughs> religion. I mean, that, that's, I mean, you guys, it's easy to kind of figure these out, at least the triggers when you're on a call. And it's good to have the, you know, the most common ones in your mind, but you also want to keep your ear out on every call because it's going to be different for each individual. And so this is kind of goes back to arguing. If you feel like you're going around in circles, just stay in. I feel like we're going around in circles or going back and forth on this kind of stuff. Um, maybe changing the subject completely. And like we just mentioned, if you feel like you're not gaining rapport, and maybe that's what's causing this kind of back and forth, is when you change the subject, look for a hook. Um, or if it is because you're talking about a trigger, you can even bring up the trigger and, and kind of use that as someone as a hook. Like, wow, you really are upset with the president. You know, wow, you really dislike Trump. And that curiosity that Niels was talking about before is a great way to build rapport. Oh, tell me more about what you read about him. Oh, this. You don't have to agree about it. But having someone kind of talk about the things that makes them mad or the things they like, um, anything they're passionate about is a great way to really kind of get that report. Agreed. <laughs> is that helpful? Very helpful. <laughs> so what about someone that, that lies to you? So, you know, oftentimes on calls, people will lie because they're fearful. They're afraid of something, so they're trying to, to deceive you in some sense on that. Um, but this is often the most difficult people to deal with. Oh, that was a punt to me. Okay, got it. Yeah, so lying is very, very difficult. So in any kind of communication relationship, any kind of negotiation, anything. So it's not just police interactions. Because, and, and most people lie because they're fearful. And the, the common example is kids. You know, why did you do that? Uh, because you know, they'll come up with something because they're afraid that something bad is going to happen, so they make up lies, or they're fearful that no one's going to care about them, no one's going to love them, no one's going to give them attention, so they make up more and more fantastic stories to get people to notice them. And these are very common things. It, so the hard thing with lying is if you don't know that they're lying, you can't substitute the right thing for it. So it's always best to have as much information as possible uh, when you go into any kind of negotiation or discussion. Or if you find that someone's lying, instead of immediately calling them out and arguing with them, sort of letting them believe that you believe. So, oh, that's interesting. So you did, uh, you know, you ran for president and you almost won. Tell me more about that. And then they'll, they have to make their story more and more fantastic until it's just obviously untrue. So, and, and if you align yourself with someone's lies, as long as it's not dangerous in any way, um, you still get that same rapport and you can still uh, have a better outcome than if you're arguing about the law. And so think about this from at least law enforcement out there, any kind of response and investigation with like a domestic incident. 
So typically you're going to split up anyway. And so one party will, will have potentially the offender and the other will have the non-offender. So you're starting to talk to them. You don't just start calling the potential offender out if you don't know. If you're the one talking to them while, while you're the primary officer's talking to the victim and the, you know, the offender's saying, oh, you know, we were just watching TV. I don't know why, why the person called the police. And they're like, no, you weren't watching TV. Don't just start calling them out. You act like, oh, really? You were just watching TV. Like, what were you watching? You have them kind of tell you the story, and you recap with the other officer that's on scene. Hey, this is what they're saying, and maybe then that officer takes over communication, and that's why it's important to gather information. So in any investigation, you get as much information as you can. You hear the story before you start calling people out. If you start calling people out for lying, you're going to argue over the lie and not necessarily the situation or problem at hand. So look at any other resources. Here locally, we're lucky to have a real-time crime center. So you can get previous history from police calls, if it's mental health related from the CIT, from our case management system. Get as much information as you guys can have if it's possible. If not, when you're on scene or when you're out with somebody, try to gather as much information then on it. So exactly what, what Nails is saying, if someone's telling a lie, you can ask more questions. People like to talk about themselves. So if it is something they're saying, you ask more questions related to their history or related to something you're trying to find out, and they'll just keep talking about that. Yes. Oh, we're out of time. Okay, cool. We're going to educate now. Niels and I are clearly on the same page today with stuff. So the last part of this is education, and this kind of goes back to what we talked about before. People do not like being told what to do. And sometimes it's hard, and I mean, again, I'm not saying, if, if there's a safety thing in mind, I'm not saying us as law enforcement can't tell somebody, you know, you need to sit down or you need to drop a weapon. If there's immediate safety, yes, we have to take control of the situation, you have to tell people what to do. But if there's any point of time that you can kind of, even safely hesitate and offer a solution, and even if you know the person's going to jail, but the solution is, hey, if you turn around now, Put you in cuffs, I'll write the report that you were very compliant. Or, you know, you give another option for it. The other option is, is we're gonna have tasing you or getting more officers out here. You're giving them different solutions and you ask them for that. But kind of getting ahead of this one. Yeah, so uh, so the basic idea is to use what the power you have to educate someone as opposed to impose your power upon them. So in medicine, that would be, you know, I'm not gonna force you to take this medicine or that medicine if I don't have to, and say, hey, you know, I, I think these are the different options, and this is the pros and cons of this one, and that's the pros and cons of that one. So I'm using, I'm letting you, I'm teaching you about your options as opposed to foisting them on you. So people in your situation, generally, you know, pain meds don't really work very well, and they wear off, and then they have lots of side effects. So that's just education. I'm not telling them, you can't do this because it's bad for you. I'm saying, generally, to, according to the medical literature, this is what happens, and these are the things that happens. These are the reasons I'm worried. So I'm using power to educate. Matt was saying the same thing. It's like, I'm not saying I'm gonna tase you, but I'm saying in these situations where people get out of control, sometimes we have to use a taser. Let's see if we can avoid that. So you're educating them as opposed to threatening. And some of the most difficult calls I was just thinking, because Ben's gonna be talking to community members, it's kind of those community complaints that are outside of really the scope of law enforcement, so neighborhood disputes or neighbor disputes. And so sometimes asking somebody for their own solutions on it. 
So, well, their trash is everywhere. What do you think would, would solve it? And as they talk about stuff, if it's not feasible, that's the time for you to educate them on why it's not feasible. And, and if they create a solution that is feasible, encourage that because it will be a more lasting solution. You know, if it is more that, oh, I'll talk to them once a week about the trash or see if they're aware that their trash fell over, these lasting solutions tend to, to hold. And this is often where you know, we talked a long time about argument, and I think it is worth a long discussion because if you're educating them, that can quickly slip into an argument. Like, this is what your options are, and these are not, like, no, you're using trash. You know, trash pickup is on this day, and the city doesn't allow certain things to go into the trash, and I can see why you're frustrated. But if they start arguing, you start arguing back, then you've lost the education, you've lost the flow, and now you're arguing, as opposed to, you know, trying to triangulate that education. So, hey, you know, this is the problem. This is the facts of the world. So when you're educating, you're just stating facts as much as possible. So the fact is they only pick up the garbage twice a week. That's out of my control. That's out of your control. What is that we can do within that universe that has that reality? Does that well, it does. And sometimes, like what Niels is saying, I've seen him do this, is changing it from you to we. So instead, like, do you understand that the trash, you know, only picks up large items once a month? Instead of that, it's like, hey, I just, you know, the trash pickup for large items is once a month. What do you think we can do? Yeah. So change it from like, you don't understand to what can we as a solution on that. Sometimes changes people's perception and then it gets them into a thinking mode as opposed to an arguing mode. So this Picasso. is kind of the stuff. That's Picasso. That's Picasso. And does man go before? Okay. <laughs> so for, for Ben and anyone else, that this one is Picasso. So brainstorming together. If someone can't come up with solutions, you know, this is kind of what we were just talking about. What do you think we can be, we can do? You know, what if we tried this or, you know, any kind of stuff like that. Because first you ask them just straight out, what do you think, what can we do? What, what idea do you have? So that they come up with a solution and they might come up with a solution that's great. And that's, then that's perfect. It's going to stick really well. But if they're sort of, oh, I don't know, then you kind of brainstorm. Well, let's think about it. Maybe we can try this or maybe in this could work. I've seen in other situations where people have tried that. And so you're brainstorming solutions together so that they can still take ownership if you come up with a good solution. And kind of what Jason and John from U.S. Probation were talking about, this kind of keeps you as a, yeah. a third party. And it helps you kind of catch yourself from problem solving too soon. People typically don't like having their problems solved right away unless they're coming in and you ask, like, do you want me to make suggestions? Otherwise, people like to be involved in that problem solving. So this is a great way of using a, almost like a script to make sure that you're staying neutral and, and asking somebody for their involvement. Yeah, absolutely. And so once you um, try to, first you ask them for solutions, so basically a three-step process. You ask them for solutions, they don't come up with anything, you brainstorm, and then if they still can't come up with good solutions, then you, you lay out a, a menu of options like a, like a, Buffet, like these are your different choices, pick one. Um, and on that, one of the choices is, if you don't pick any of them, you're gonna get arrested or whatever it is. Your, your sort of fallback that you can do all on your own without any cooperation. That's sort of the fail safe, that's the last thing you would wanna do, um, hopefully. So, and this is kind of what I jumped to yeah. earlier. So if someone has to go to jail, you've already made that decision. Um, and your failsafe is 
you have to use force to get them into custody for it. So that's your fail safe. That's the worst case scenario. But you can give them the options. You know, you went over stuff, you asked for solutions uh, on this, you educate them on the reason why, and then you offer them these choices. You know, you turn around now and make a positive report that for your cooperation, you know you'll get out in like 30 minutes, that's what it seems like. Um, you know, another one is I'll have to use a taser, the other one is I'll have to get all these other people here for that, and then you make additional choices. You know, what would you guys like to do? And if someone refuses, especially, I mean, that's an extreme example. Because if someone refuses, like, so you're telling me you're refusing and you want to be tased, you know, you confirm the non-compliance and then you're going to have to act on something at that point. And that's an extreme version. Yeah. So we covered a lot just now. Yeah, we did.